0: Welcome back to the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman and I am your host. And if this is your first time tuning in with us, then this is a podcast dedicated to those who wanna reach a next level in their business, personal or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a fully qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry and really walk through their story, how they have gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we dive into this week's episode, I wanna reiterate my main goal, which is to impact over 1 million people. So if you have not done this already, please take the time to subscribe to Next Level Minds on Apple Podcasts so you can get updates on recent episodes. And take the time to share this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague who you think could get some value out of it. And lastly, if you're really feeling special, drop a review of Next Level Minds on Apple Podcasts and let me know what you think. As the more reviews I get, the higher on the charts that this podcast will go on the business category. Now, on to today's episode. I am sitting down with Scott Podmilsack. Him and I first met in September of 2022. Once we started talking about business for a few minutes, I instantly knew that he'd be a fantastic guest for the podcast. The reason being is he founded Strategic Business Systems in 2000 with zero dollars in outside funding. At the time, they specialized in IT infrastructure professional services. And the reason I say at the time is because in 2008, SBS, Strategic Business Solutions, sold to a public company. Brocade Communication. So he had a successful exit within eight years. Scott currently runs multiple different companies today, which he's actually going to chat about in part two when we chat again. So this is just part one of a two-part episode. I'm super excited to sit down with Scott and dive into what it took to start his business, the resources he utilized, the uh, lessons he learned, the skills that he implemented, and the whole nine yards of entrepreneurship. So if you're excited to learn about business, if you're excited to learn about how to get a company off the ground, then this episode is definitely for you. And as we like to say here at Next Level Minds, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Scott, thanks so much for uh, hopping on the Next Level Minds podcast, man. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, dude. I'm uh I'm super excited. I know uh, we first met back in like August or September, started talking business, and uh, man, within like five minutes of chatting with you, I was like, I gotta have this guy on uh, on the podcast. So I'm excited. Cool, that's awesome. Yeah, man. How's the week going? I know we're, we're just starting recording on a Monday, so is it going well?
1: Oh yeah, man. It's been hectic. You know, I was uh I started the the weekend uh, weekend off with uh, watching my son compete uh out at copper mountain he's a professional skier part of the u.s ski team and uh the youngest member of the u.s free ski team and uh i got to watch him compete out there it was really exciting uh ended up but um you know he uh, right now is ranked second overall in the world uh and so that's that's actually been one of the things <laughs> he does take it, he had in the past taken up a lot of my time now to come up he's 18 so that was really fun uh, i got to spend some time with him down back in Salt Lake, and you know kind of uh back to the grind, uh you know managing and running the businesses,
0: so yeah, man, you got your hands full uh skier businesses, uh you know personal time, all that as well, so um, you know you're talking about your son, um, obviously being eighteen ski team and all that, so I'm just kind of curious how how you grew up um, and the reason I like to ask that is because my listeners are ranged from all ages, and uh, I think a lot of times people hear stories of well, this business owner grew up this way. So did I. Um, and they can kind of relate to now their present journey. So I'll kind of let you take it from there. I mean, I'd love if you wanted to start maybe around 16, 17, 18 timeframe, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, that's perfect. Um, yeah, well, I would say that, that I would like to tell you that I was this like great student and I had it all figured out and I was completely dialed, you know? Um, but it was actually quite the opposite. You know, I was, uh, pretty immature trying to figure things out. Um, and really had no real sense of direction, other than I always kind of knew that I didn't want to be told what to do. Rather, I kind of always felt like I wanted to be the person writing the textbook. And I, I also knew just from a very young age that I was, uh, you know, I came from a family of entrepreneurs, like, you know, people that you know, my grandfather came over from uh, Austria and uh, he started a general store up in uh, Pittsburgh and and then my uncle took it over. And, you know, it's just kind of one of these things. My, my grandfather had like a fifth grade education education know kind of thing but he made it happen and he was like the most successful guy in this small you know steel mill town up in pittsburgh and you know i think that that kind of grit and blue collar mentality kind of got ingrained with me just by seeing how that part of my family operated um and so i was really more i'd say blue collar than an academic that's kind of like how i would really kind of classify myself at the time I think now I'm probably more of a hybrid, you know, uh, academic slash blue collar now uh, equally. Uh, but I, I grew up at Oakton, uh, Oakton, Virginia, went to Oakton mm-hmm. High School, went to James Madison University. Um, before I got to James Madison University, um, I think the interesting thing about growing up in in Oakton in Fairfax County is that it was almost assumed that you would go to uh, college, you know, and I, as I've traveled around the world around the world and around this country, it's not really assumed in every place you go that you're going go to go to college. And and uh, I think that that really, I think college is important, um, but I don't think it's mandatory. And um, but for me, I think that there was a certain things that that I felt that kind of cued me into really realizing that college was the right path for me. And that was at 17 years old, I got a job out at the airport at a Dulles airport. And I was like, you know, too young to even be working out there. You know, they, this is pre-9 eleven, you know, so I was out there, you know, working out with these big huge airplanes as a baggage handler and and you know, really was not destined at that point as going into my senior year in high school, not gonna be going to college with my grades and my SATs. It was like I hadn't even really like considered that as an option because my grades were just so bad and so unmotivated. Um and so, but going to work in that type of environment with among men, you know. So I was like a boy, <laughs> and working with all these men that had families and were working their asses off, and you know, in in all kinds of different weather and conditions, making very little money. Honestly, say at that time, at least since then. But you know, they were making like you know very little money, and I, that was kind of eye opening for me. So. At that point, you know, doing that for a year, I got highly motivated to kind of get my act together and kind of, you know, at least kind of do some of the bare minimum things, I think, uh, to gain a certain amount of knowledge uh, to be successful. So I, I went to community college. Um, I went from like really crappy grades to the straight, you know, straight A's, 4.0, uh, transferred, you know, pretty quickly to James Madison and, uh, you know, went into a uh, business finance, uh, background as well as, uh, CIS, which is computer information systems. So I had a double major. And at that point, you know, I, that's where I, where I made the the shift was like that point where I realized that I, blue collar is kind of cool, but not that cool in a sense for what I wanted to be doing. And so, um, around that same time I got, uh, you know, really passionate about technology, like it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the internet and things like that were just kind of like emerging at that point. And i had always been a gamer and just kind of into to that kind of whole computer technology kind of thing, which also drove me into, you know, to a uh, interest in aviation. And so I really found that once I found that passion about technology, it was easy. You know, I really liked doing it. I was like, my first job out of school, I went to work for, for Booz Allen Hamilton uh, as, a, as a consultant on site. And I, I honestly, my attitude, I was a systems engineer, and I was like, I, uh, I can't believe they're paying me to, to do this because it's so much fun. I really enjoyed it. And so I think that that would be a bit of advice that I would give anybody is like, you know, it goes without saying, but you, th- those that really love what they're doing and would do it anyway are gonna be successful. You know, you have to have that passion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I really was so stoked about, um, the field that I was working in. I, I went and bought all these different computer servers and I had this whole like computer like network thing set up in my house, uh, that, you know, it was like, I'm serious. I had this, these big computer racks and I would just run all these different scenarios, uh, had a, had a T one line at the time, which that was really fast back then coming into the house. And I just thought I was like, uh, you know, m- Mr. Uh, techno guy. I just really had a good time with it. So, um, but yeah, so I went from that and, um, you know, went from there to another uh, defense contractor and uh, was working on their, one of their internal teams. And I just kind of realized that, um, you know, I could do it better uh, than them. And essentially what these companies like Booz Allen, I mean, they're great companies and everything. And, um, but I, I just realized that they essentially bill like law firms, right? So they're uh, the more people that they have billable on site, you know, they're taking a percentage and they may add some value, but I didn't feel like the value that they were adding was really probably more their name than maybe some of the processes or, or uh, procedures that they were putting into place for that client. And they were charging astronomical amounts. So at that point, I kind of realized that I needed to go my own route and I, ran into a friend uh, down in old town Alexandria. And he's like, Hey, you know, I can help you, uh, you know, uh, be a billable consultant on site with your own company. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's how it kind of started. So I went from, you know, you working, in, you know, for a major couple major consulting companies to billable on site as an independent uh, consultant. And then from there, yeah, people liked the work that I was doing um and I I just started hiring people <laughs> to work for me. So, um that's kind of how I, everything kind of morphed.
0: Yeah, man, that's awesome. I appreciate that um amazing background. First off, extremely inspiring because um I never pa- I never got uh, above a 1000 on my SAT, so school was uh something <laughs> I always struggled in as well. Um I want to ask you, you said, uh, finding your passion. Um, you know, I think a lot of people listen to this show can, can definitely agree with your, uh, points there. What's just some general advice for someone to find their passion, maybe if they're just starting out or, or maybe they don't know it yet. Um, c- cause I totally agree if you're passionate about it, I mean, you, you'll have a much higher probability of being successful.
1: Definitely. I mean, I think that, that, you know, people like I, one thing I've really learned is that people, um, are not good at everything. It doesn't matter who they are. Like I'm, there's certain things I'm terrible at. Right. So, uh, but then there's other things that I think that I'm really gifted at. And I think that you know, really those, you have to kind of know what your strengths and weaknesses are and be honest with yourself. Like even, you know, me and Troy, the skier, uh, you know, my skier son, you know, we're, we're I talked to him about this a lot because there's a lot of correlation between a professional athlete and a professional businessman, if you will. Yeah. Um, is that, you know, you have to be honest, do a self-assessment of what your strengths and weaknesses are and be honest about it. Like be honest with yourself. And it's really hard. It's like that, those memes that always say the tough pill to swallow, you know, like a lot of times, you know, that's the hardest thing is to be honest with yourself about what you're, what you're good at and what you're not good at. And, Mm. and I would say then that would be a good basis to start like, you know, exploring, maybe a profession around what your strengths are. So like, if you're totally disorganized or, you know, and not, not good at, um, you know, uh, managing things, maybe going into the accounting, you know, space is not your best idea, you know, like, uh, That's but true. if you're, maybe may if, you know, it might be, if you want to be an artist though, you know, like, and so, yeah. so there's definitely, um, there's definitely things like that, that I think can help you, you know, be really good at what you're deciding your, you know, what your passions are is to, you know, figure out where your strengths are. I think that would be a really good start for that.
0: Yeah, man. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And that's just very good actionable advice. I mean, anybody listening right now can just say, all right, strengths, weaknesses. And then, I mean, there's this magical thing called Google. You can always type in, you know, if I have these strengths, what's, what's kind of a good profession. There yeah. too. So, I mean, that's honestly what I did. I'm in sales and the eight to five, I typed in like, you know, enthusiastic, outgoing relationship building. And I was like, man, 10 out of 10, it's aligning with like being a, a sales individual. So that's um, true. I mean,
1: it's true. And like, you know, I, it, it's funny because I've had a, a, often, and this is nothing against a, a accountants per se, but I hear people say like, you know, I just don't connect with them. And I'm like, well, yeah, you probably not going to connect with your accountant because there's a reason they chose to go into do accounting. You know, like they're, they're better at like, you know, putting things in stovepipes and they're not, in sales, you know, so which is a different kind of personality. Man,
0: so, uh, 100%. Yeah. But yeah. And I, I would much rather have somebody who's maybe not as extroverted working on my accounting rather than a sales. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, so uh, you touched on it a little bit. You started doing, you know, the consulting side of things, obviously, which I'm sure led to uh, strategic business systems. Um, I just kind of want to know, you know, Briefly here, how did you really get that off the ground? Because I, I think two thousands was kind of the dot com crash, which I imagine was was kind of tough to be in the tech sector. So
1: it was, um, and that's a really good point. So so SBS or Strategic Business Systems, you know, the biggest thing about that I think that made it successful, especially around that time, was you know it's I literally started with just me as a billable entity. You know, like so I was mm-hmm. actually charging for my time. And then I I was at like different places that ended up collapsing, like MCI WorldCom. I was there before that went down the tubes, but then a couple other places like American Red Cross. And uh, I I ended up like, while I was at Red Cross, I started, and this is going to be crazy. It's before like cold calls, like they were annoying at the time, but like now they're really annoying. And, um, but what I would do is on my spare time, I literally went out and this is, I'm going to date myself, but I had like the yellow pages and I would just flip through and just start calling businesses and see if they needed any kind of like tech services. I mean, so I was like, not afraid to cold call. And, uh, I actually really found that that was something I was really good at was just, you know, like being upfront on the sales cycle, um, really all, all different facets of the sales cycle, but, um, so that's kind of how it got going. I got a couple clients just through cold calling with um, a really basic script that I created. And, uh, you know, I got uh, a couple nonprofits and, and a couple small defense contractors. Around that time, I needed help um, on one of these contracts that I landed. Um, again, these were small. Um, and it was like uh, I had to actually. I needed help. So I called him my old, my old, uh, fraternity, uh, brother, Gary Long, uh, really good guy. Uh, and definitely, um, you know, uh, he was super impactful in my life as well. Love the guy still, we're still super homies. Um, nice. but I, I, I called him and I said, Hey Gary, I need your help. And, um, you know, he came in and helped me. We did this one job together and we kind of decided that we were really had a, something special. Like we had something special in college I and mean, we were, you know, fraternity brothers, you know, pledge brothers, roommates. Mm. I mean, we're super tight. There was that trust there between him and I, you know, and like we'd been through a lot of stuff in school and through the fraternity that we just wanted to do something together at that point. So um, along that, along those lines, um, I uh, ended up um, having an opportunity to add some headcount at American Red Cross. And so um, we put Gary, you know, Gary agreed to go on site there and work there as a project manager And then we, from there we, and him and I were like, I would say we're, we did a really good job. Like customers loved us because, um, and I'll speak for myself and not for him necessarily, but I'll just say that when, um, a client had an issue, I really was, I was good at consulting. I was good at solving, you know, marrying, um, technology to business problems, uh, and fixing things like that. Um, but if I didn't know something, I was like, not like, oh, well, you know, like, don't know what to yeah. tell you. I would immediately find, I knew all, I had a really strong network of people. I would, I would get the answer. There was. Call um, me here. Hand, we're still there. Yeah. you still there. Okay, cool. Sorry. I just, somebody just called me. Uh, sorry about that, bro. Um, no, you're good, man. Um, so if the thing thing was, is that it really, uh, if there was an issue that, that happened on site, like it was never, it, I always owned the problem, you know? And mm. so I think with that, there became this, like, we, we became the easy button for a client, you know? And so I think that that was something that we still do today. I still own that today. I'm like, you make your client look good. You'll expand, you know, mm. And if you become the easy button, like, meaning like the, all my problems go away if I bring in PG Tech, you know, or, or at the time it was SBS. And so with that mentality, uh, we were able to go to American Red Cross. And then subsequently, I kind of, uh, Gary and I made a strategic decision um, to say like, hey, Scott, why don't you go do sales? And so we had about 10 people working at American Red Cross. And I mean, this was something, remember, like Gary and I were like at that point, like totally 50 50 business partners. We didn't have any angel investors or anything like that. And it was like, now Gary's going to work every day at American Red Cross. And he's like, you know, cool with me going out doing sales, having never done it before. And so what's really cool is within the first six months, I signed a contract with Northrop Grumman and I signed a contract with uh, Dell Computer. And both those have have their own stories with them. But like, it just goes to show that like, I think salesmen are born; they're not made. You know, I, yeah. I think you can make a salesman better, but you either have it or you don't. And if and and you can just tell that immediately when you talk to somebody for the first time. You know, you either have that or you don't. Um, so uh, it was pretty cool, though, bringing those in, and and the company just kind of exponentially grew from there. And we ended up getting the um, uh, the ability to work in in cleared environments with the government, and nice. so that further opened it up um, you know, our opportunities. So we became really specialized in that regard.
0: That's awesome, man. I I love that you mentioned, um, just about being there for the client, making them look good. I I think that's a big value add right there. Um, of, Hey, if you can make them look good, they'll obviously make you look good. And then I love that you also mentioned, Hey, if I don't have the answer, like I'm going to go find it. Cause I feel like a lot of people in the consulting field and definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but I've seen a little bit of like, Oh, well, I don't know the answer. Sorry. You know, it's like, (laughs) <laughs> I think <laughs> well, you're like, Oh, well, great. I'm on my own I guess it's like, all right, we just paid yeah. this person to do this. And, uh, that was dumb. Right. So, um, let, let me ask you this. You, you mentioned you and your, your co-founder. Um, that's awesome that you guys are fraternity brothers as well. Um, yeah, sick. would you suggest to people that are maybe starting a business and they need a co-founder? Like, do you need to have that kind of like yin and yang approach to it type of thing or?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a great question. I think that, um, that's a tricky one. Um, and because I've, I've probably heard more partnerships fail than, than being successful, honestly. And so I really, again, feel that when you're, I think if you find the right partner, it could be, you could be unstoppable. Right. And so Mm. like Gary and I, Gary long and I were fundamentally aligned. That was the first thing. Like we both had, we were both like, like it wasn't a philosophical thing or, you know, uh, it was all about like profitability of the company. So it wasn't like we were very, very money-driven at that point. You know, it was, um, you know, as capitalist as you could be, you know? And nice. and so from that perspective, him and I were really tied off. So if you come into it with the same, you know, philosophy and you're aligned, then your decisions are all pretty easy at that point. It's like, oh, okay, well, this actually make money or lose money for the company. So so him and I had that that, that was number one thing was, you know, you need to be aligned philosophically um, and priority-wise. And then number two was that I trust the guy. I still trust him with my life. And so I think that that's another big failure for for companies and partnerships is that, you know, they may or may not know somebody that all that well, or, you know, they could be their partner ends up being a little shady or whatever it could be. But like, I knew in the end, like I would have done I would have run that company without, you know, any kind of operating agreement or whatever, because I just knew Gary would never have screwed us. So we did everything correctly, and that's the right way to do it, by the way. Um, but I'm just saying that that was the level of trust him and I had. And there's a lot of opportunities and partnerships and those types of relationships where one partner can totally screw over the other, and it happens all the time. I hear about it. So the trust thing for me now is almost, it, not almost, it's a fundamental. I mean, I, like, I'm not hiring people um, that I don't like I, if I get a bad read on them, I'm definitely not hiring them. And I really tend to try to hire somebody that I have some connection with through somebody, uh, just because the trusting is probably at the very
0: top of my list. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Cause I mean, we've had a lot of, uh, business owners on the show and some of their failed businesses, 10 out of 10, it almost goes back to, you know, a fallout with the partner or fellow co-founder. Yep. And so, and I, I totally agree with you on that, um, with trust, um, last question I want to ask you on that. And then I want to switch to kind of what you're doing now. Um, can you, uh, you told me the story when we first met of how, when you guys sold, you were in like Vegas or something. Um, yeah. c- could you yeah. just like recap that in like 60 <laughs> seconds or less? I just thought yeah. it was funny. And I think people will get pretty pumped off, off the story. So,
1: yeah, it was pretty funny. So, so, you know, just like every business, I mean, like everybody that, that, that came into SBS, like, well, let, let me just, let me just recap and set the stage there because, you know, every account, I've always said this, like every account that we sold, that I, and I sold all of them, actually. Every account that was sold, um, and at the time, we were working with Dell Computer, EMC, VMware, Northrop, uh, Raytheon, uh, Hitachi, uh, and there was a couple, of Brocade, actually, was another one. So every one of those was like a miracle a mini miracle unto itself. I mean, there were so many things that it took to get those accounts and to be there and, and to get the right pricing, to get the right contacts. A lot of these were cold contacts. So everybody that that was a part of SBS when we sold it only remembers the good times. And honestly, there was a lot. I remember all the hard times. Actually, all I remember is like, it was like, you're fighting in the trenches. I always see like those movies of like World War One and the trench warfare, that's what it oh, felt yeah. like, honestly, every day. Uh, like, just going, like, yeah, you know, all's quiet on the Western Front, that trench warfare. That's what it felt like because, and that, that was at least the mentality that I applied to it was like, you know, street fighting. Like, mm-hmm. let's, you know, like do what we have to do to win these accounts. And we were super aggressive. And um, so at the end of the day, when we got to the end of the road, Honestly, it was a, it was a bit anticlimactic. I was honestly devastated after we sold the company, because I was like, yeah, you know, when you're fighting every day and really yeah. trying to grow things, and you lose that, it was terrible. But yeah. um, you know, as a as a person that I'm not doing it, even though I talk about money as being the basis, it's not it's not for the love of money. It's just it's like the it's the gauge of success of how yeah. smart you executed, and that's what I like about money is that. It shows you that you were able to play the game better than everybody else, and so that's that's a kind of an important point. But to go back to your your question about Las Vegas, yeah. So it was funny when we when we sold the company, uh, you know, the we sold it to Brocade Communications, now part of Broadcom. And what made that that sale kind of unique was that, um, as I mentioned before, about a lot of these. Co- Consulting companies, they add. What our company at SBS added value in is that we literally had um, about 200 engineers that worked for us, consultants that worked for us. They were employees. And we provided all this cross-training to them. So uh, we had focused solely on data storage and a lot of the little secondary uh, technologies that go along with data storage. And it was on a professional services uh, level. So we were Mm -hmm. just doing professional services for all the major, all those com- companies I just mentioned, we were doing third services for them. So, like HP would uh, would contract us out, subcontract us out to install their products, and VMware would do the same, you know. And so, and what made us strong was that we provided cross training amongst all of our engineers on those platforms. So that, you know, we had like a really, I actually was second to none storage practice in the world, I think at that time. Like there was nobody else that had a concentration of data storage professionals that were solid on all those platforms, like, like our company was, which is why Brocade Communications came back and said, hey, you know, we're, we're actually this, this uh, you know, really a hardware company, but we want to get into services. And that just so happened that their product was very complimentary to all those clients that I mentioned. Mm. And uh, so, so then that's why the acquisition happened. So we got really good money on the company, enough to retire. And uh, and somehow just it worked out that we were in Vegas at the time. And I remember, uh, you know, Gary was like, dude, he's like, I know you're gonna try to get me to go buy a Ferrari and you know, like this <laughs> and that. Cause at the time the win had a Ferrari dealership, but yeah, we went down um, like when the, when the money hit our account, we went down to the, uh, the Ferrari dealer and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, you yeah, know, we, we'd had a few drinks, you know, we walked in there, yeah. but it, it was kind of funny. We, we ended up both buying Ferraris and then as as kind of the, the, the night went on, I started kind of like, it started dawning on me. I was like, dude, you just bought a Ferrari, like, and you know, you live in, you're, you're moving to park city. I don't think it's really going to be a good match, you know? So anyway, the next morning I woke up I was like I saw the the all the paperwork on on the hotel uh table and I was like, Oh my god, I, I don't want this thing, you know. Like so yeah. So I called him back and and they we uh we I got out of mine. I think, yeah, Gary got out of his. I don't know how he got out of his, but I just said, Look, man, I don't want it. And you know, I probably had too many drinks when I bought it and they let me off the hook. So
0: Yeah. Um <laughs> I just think that story is funny because it's like I've definitely made some purchases like that, but not not a Ferrari, like a like a hoodie or like a shirt. And I'm like, oh, I don't want this anymore. And I just thought that was the funny part of your story. Like bought a Ferrari, kind of regretted it, returned it the next day type of thing. So, it,
1: well that, okay. So that one I bought. And then, so in its place though, I never told you the second part of the story, No, which was, I had this great epiphany that I needed this like monster truck. Cause I was living in then at park city at the time. And um, this, there's this truck that was manufactured called sport chassis. And essentially, it's like kind of this Frankenstein truck that Daumler, Chrysler, and uh, and Mercedes-Benz kind of collabed on it. And it was like this, um, basically this monster truck sitting on a Freightliner chassis, like an 18-wheeler that had like a truck bed on it. And I mean, it had like air brakes. And the thing was, I can't really even do it justice to how big it was. But if you ever see like an 18-wheeler driving down the road… That's how big it was. I mean, the, the trailer was, I mean, the, the cab was that big. I bought that truck thinking that I needed it. And uh, I met the guy at the Salt Lake City Airport you know, as he delivered it out. And that was the only time in my life I really, truly did have buyers' remorse. So I saw that. It's such a spectacle and so unnecessary <laughs> yeah. that I was like, I, I ended up, I, I was already fully committed right. and I bought it and I ended up selling it a year later, but it was so ridiculous. And, um, that was like one of the purchases that I made that I was like, this was so stupid and this is totally not who I am. I don't know why I did it, but like <laughs> I ended up falling through on that one and I sold it later. And you know, That's like, funny. uh, yeah, it was kind of stupid. Uh,
0: if you have an old photo of that, please text it to me. Cause I want, I want to laugh. So I will, uh, I'll send it to you. So what are you? What are you working on now? I know we talked on the phone a little bit previous, uh, prior to the episode. So um, I'd love to you yeah. That um,
1: so so um, just to kind of back up there and say like so after I sold the company, I took like probably about seven years off, something like that. And that I used that time to coach Troy. Troy Podmilsack. He's my he's the skier son. So I took that time to coach him into, uh, you know, till around when he was about 12. So my time was like, you're, when you're raising a championship, anything, uh, you know, whether it be wrestler or baseball player, it's very time consuming. And I feel like the, uh, for him, the skiing was really time consuming because it would take us to New Zealand, you know, for like three weeks there Mm. to Europe for like a month. And so I really didn't have any options to go, um, to really work anywhere else. So I ended up, um, uh, going from there realizing that, you know, he needed professional provide. So we ended up finding some good coaches for him. And, you know, like I said, he's on us team now. He has a great coach. His name's TJ Schiller, X games, gold medalist. Awesome guy. You should have him on the podcast too. He does these things. He's a good guy in his own right. Um, And then, um, you know, ended up, uh, my, my father was, uh, a government guy. Um, and he had started, um, a very small consulting company. I had actually helped him start this, um, you know, back in, I want to say right around the time SBS got started, he left the government and kind of started his own thing and he never wanted it to be big. It was just small and he was doing some geospatial and, uh, analytical uh, data analytics type thing, uh, type work. And I thought that was sounded really interesting since my background was really data storage and there, you know, obviously geospatial and analytics, you know, have a data storage background, you know, they, they're, that's part of the, yeah. the solution. So I kind of saw a good fit there. And so I ended up buying my father out. I came in and just said, Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll buy the company from you. So I bought it from him. And uh, at the time, it was like you know, ten employees, something like that. And I uh, I ended up bringing in my old team, uh, mm. for, uh, like I'd say the best of the old team, uh, uh, minus uh, Gary Long. Gary Long, yeah, you know, it's like hanging out, like he has his own thing going on. Uh, yeah, yeah. We just thought it maybe it'd be better just to kind of split up on this one. And so uh, I have some really good good people working for me now at PG Tech it's, uh, it's a little bit of the same kind of flavor to it. It's still consulting. Nice. Um, and it's, uh, it's mainly around, you know, private, uh, and hybrid cloud, uh, technology, especially like, uh, from a migration implementation and ongoing operation perspective.
0: Yeah. That's awesome, man. I like that. Uh, you're still kind of diving into, uh, to what you're passionate about. Um, and the seven years, I mean, training a, a championship athlete like that, I'm, Sure, that took a lot of work. I'm sure some days felt like just like being in the trenches when you had your own company type of thing too. So, it,
1: well, I, I'm going to say this that that this is one thing that I noticed about that, and this is something that I, I just some some of your you know uh, audience may, may be able to to you know, relate to this was it was it's kind of like one of those things where I think it was really challenging when I didn't have a job and I had really kind of put. Um, all my emphasis on you know Troy as an athlete. You know I have three other kids too, but I mean I put a yeah. lot of emphasis on that and really made that a big focus. I mean that's was one of the reasons he was successful. But I also kind of reached that point where I was like, I have to do my own thing, you know. And I see a lot of parents these days like putting their self worth into their children, and it's like mm-hmm. they're not doing it themselves. They're they're basing all their success on how their children are doing. And I don't think that's healthy. And I, I realized that I was kind of falling into that trap. And uh, so I, I really thought that Troy needed to kind of be his own person. And I, I per- purposely kind of separated myself from him so he could develop as, as a young man and and kind of find his own way to an extent. You know, uh, but I still have my hand uh, on him. But I, I, I really wanted him to develop his own self. And I, I have similar stories for, for Jake, who you met <laughs> He's playing, you know, NCAA lacrosse. Yeah. So, and it's like, um, you know, he has a similar, I have a similar story to him, but I guess my point with that is that sometimes less is more as, as a, as a, you know, man to a son or a daughter, you know, you don't want to be the helicopter parent. Um, And I felt like, you know, I did that, you know, for a a time with, with all the kids really. And then realized that, Hey, I think that you just got to let them have a little bit of space. And I think everybody would be happier. And then, the, the, then they really will. Like, like to your earlier question, it'll allow them to find their passion, not your passion. You know. So, mm.
0: man, that's so true. I'm really glad you mentioned that. And it also gives the kid the the um, space, if you will, to kind of learn on their own, fail a little bit, get their feet dirty, rather than the helicopter segment you just mentioned. There, it's like if they avoid failure, they're not going to learn type of thing. So.
1: That's right. I mean, and, it, and if you're always there, what happens when you're not there? You know, like, I mean, Troy's had his best results whenever I'm not around. You know, it's like it's been awesome. He's done well when I'm there too. Like, but he he's like immune to whether I'm there or not. And my oldest son, you know, Jake, Jake Podmelsak, he's doing really well, and and he's done you know similarly in lacrosse. And uh, you know, again, I was I just again, there's a lot of lessons as a it, there's a lot of, we could do a whole podcast on, you know, training elite athletes and, and, you know, how it relates to your, you trying to manage your business and so forth and trying to balance those things. It's really tough.
0: Yeah, no, man, I, I totally agree. And I'm sure we could have a whole separate episode on, on that. <laughs> so um, I want to ask you a, a, a kind of final question, um, unless there's anything else that, that we didn't touch on that you want to um, chat about real quick.
1: No, I'm, I'm good. All right. I mean, I have, I have so much to say, but, but I'll let you, like, let you kind no, of No, no,
0: you're good, man. I, um, knowing how good this episode was so far, uh, I imagine we'll do a part two, um, at some point in, uh, in 2023. So, uh, um, yeah, I'd like that. So, you know, my final question that I always like to ask is, uh, if, if someone's at a crosswalk and they're like, Hey, I, I kind of recognize you from Chris's podcast. Would you mind giving some, you know, advice to me? I'm, I'm about to start my own company. I'm, I'm trying to get started in entrepreneurship. Crosswalks about 30 seconds. I mean, what, what would you tell him?
1: I, I'm going to say um, I have two things, and it's well, I have three things actually. Now I'm going to save the. Uh, actually, I'm going to stick right. to two. Um, if if we're talking about um, and we're talking about somebody that, that's getting started in business. Is that the question? Yeah, like, hey, I, you know, I
0: just started in business, looking to learn. I heard you on Chris's podcast, but you know, I'd love uh, yeah. some advice.
1: Well, I would say that some of this would be pertinent to... Um, actually, okay, this is the, my, my number one bit of advice. So to be, I'm going to say for a budding entrepreneur or somebody that wants to get their own business started... And get things going. I would say one of the number one precepts to start with a fu- foundational, fundamental thing is don't go into credit card mm. debt. Do not go into any sort of debt, um, and because that's that's the gotcha is that all these. That's why when you're in college and the, the credit card companies hit you up, and it's so easy to get credit, and so many so many young people get into credit card debt. They're living the Kardashian lifestyle. They have the awesome car, the awesome ride. They're living way beyond their means. And guess what? when the opportunity presents itself for you to follow your passion, you're in debt, pal. You're not going to be able to do any of this stuff. So you're essentially like in, in um, you're indentured now to that credit that you have, and uh, you've got to service that debt. So you're, you're less flexible in that regard. So that's just a bit of advice that I would just like to tell people not to sound like a dad, but that's really like a really important point that whenever I went and, and I was uh, was starting SBS at the time I had zero debt and I actually had mm-hmm. some savings, which is kind of, I think unheard of for, for anybody that's, that's young. And, uh, and part of the story there is I had to, uh, how I ended up getting into the black on that is I had this, uh, 1985 Jeep CJ seven, which I was devastated on, but I was like, I had, I sold it, made all this money on it. And, uh, and essentially use that money to kind of help, um, you know, start the company, you know, that, that was like kind of like my buffer. So you need, you don't, it's not good enough just to have like not be in debt. You got to have a little bit of buffer too to, to pay, pay the bills. Um, the other thing that I I would just say for as in general, part of my success, that's really important. It may not be as relevant to people just starting out, but as you go, it's really who you surround yourself with. Right. So for me, like I only have people, I have a very tight like inner circle. I mean, it's so tight and it's like, I'm very particular about who comes in it. I mean, I get along with uh, everybody really. And I enjoy um, meeting people. I really, you know, at times I can be introverted, but I really am more of an extrovert, you know, and I really do like meeting people, but who I let in to the inner circle is very limited. And um, that includes in, in on the business side of things too. And so I feel that like, in order to be successful that i see so many people um they want to do it all right they want to do like you see these like these these business owners are like well if you want it done right i got to do it you know like so, you know and, and that's like seems like the mentality but it's such a small minded mentality you're never going to be able to scale the business that way so wh- what i really strive for is to to really build good teams teams that they're that symbiotic that everybody's kind of driving to the same goal. That within and that we all trust each other. There's not this backstabbing that, that you see so often. So creating a really good culture of people that trust each other, that are fun, that work hard, play hard, kind of thing. But in the end, when you hire people like strong teams, you create this what I call a force multiplier. You know, you have you've kind of replicated yourself, and uh, and in doing so. You have to realize that, um, and I think it's it's a maturity thing too, that not everybody's going to do it exactly the way you would do it, and that's okay. If it's going to get close to 80% of how you were going to do it, which is super awesome anyway, then so be it. The, like You don't need to micromanage every little part. That, I guess the, the part I would say is just building good teams is really the key to growing a company. It's number one, I think, at the, at the top of it. I have another one, but I'll save it for the next podcast, I, Like, which is a part two to this, the team building.
0: Dude, I, I loved all of that. Um, my two favorites were who you surround yourself with. I actually just got back from a weekend trip with just some really great friends of mine who are in my tight inner circle. We planned out our goals for 2023, everything that we're going to do. Um, and we just talked about how you should uh, kind of audit who you surround yourself with. And then last point that you said about the team, that's awesome, man. Cause I think a lot of business owners try to do it by themselves and then it's just not scalable unless you have a good team. So yeah,
1: it's, it's so important. But I have uh, several other points, but, but we can save yeah. it for part two.
0: And um, yeah, no, a hundred percent. Where, uh, where can people yeah, connect with your, you got a website or is there anything that you really uh, just, just, just to, through
1: um, yeah, they can, they can check out. So uh, pgtech.com is the main, is the main source. Um, and you know, we didn't even get a chance to really talk about the freeze dry operation. Uh, but, uh, we'll save for part two, I'm launching a B uh, a B2C, uh, dog food company, uh, that will be a brand off my freeze dry company. And I'm really excited about it. I think it's a game changer. Uh, it, it's a really unique product and, um, I've look forward to coming back and talking a little bit more about that. But yeah, go www.pgtek.com for uh, PG tech.
0: Part two, man, we're, we're diving into the freeze dry deep. And then I also want you to talk more on the, the team uh, side of things as well. So leaving everybody with like a little cliffhanger here, but we're hundred percent going to do part two. I love it. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome, man. Thanks for hopping on the show. Hey, Chris, I'm really stoked you invited me. Thanks. Well, that's it, everyone. Thanks again for taking the time to tune into this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Be sure to be on the lookout for part two, which will be dropping soon. Other than that, I hope everyone has a fantastic week ahead.